0: Welcome to Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Here's the guy who asks all the right questions. Your host, Ralph DeLugas. Welcome, welcome everybody, to our another exciting week. You are on the Loving Liberty Network. I am your humble truth-seeking host, Ralph DeLugas. We have another exciting show for you today. I want to touch lightly on the news and more heavily on, we talked a little bit about the four horsemen last week, the plagues, um, coming pestilence and so forth. I want to kind of talk about some of the articles just so far this year. It seems to me we've seen a hastening in this direction. Um, I guess I have to admit I've always had kind of a morbid fascination with end times and Coming catastrophe, as they're as they're spoken of in the Bible, and as I see the signs around me. And if if Buttigieg can stand up and preach Bible to all of us, I think um, I think we certainly can here on the Loving Liberty Network, right? Um, Did Did you catch that Brian Buttigieg's comments on the Christian Trump? Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's talk about really. So in the democratic debates, and this is the only less anybody thinks I watched the democratic debates. I did not. I heard this on, heard it on the radio, on my drive in, um, Buddha judge. And this is paraphrasing was asked, what would you say to all these Trump supporters that are good Christians? You know, the, the the reporter basically knowing that Buddha judge is a good Christian, which is, seems kind of anomalous to me, but I don't judge. Um, so Buttigieg gets up on his high horse and goes – and he actually used the word lifestyles. I don't know how anybody could look at Trump's lifestyle and consider him anything but completely opposite of all Christian uh, values as laid out in the Bible. And I'm thinking, have you never heard of Sodom, Gomorrah, Lamech, uh, what happened in the camp of Israel to guys that had a husband and so forth? I don't To me, it just seems so odd – the Buddha judge felt it necessary to lecture all the Christians that voted for Trump. To me, it's a, I mean, you got, I live in the great Sanhedrin Valley in the shadow of the great marbled Sanhedrin hall on the Hill. My Senator is Massachusetts hypocrite. Mitt. So like we're used to uh, hypocrisy and politics around here. Right. But that, that was a bit much, even, even for us here. Um, So anyway, if he can talk about it, so can we, right? Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what we see so far. Let me – and is this – I'm going to call on uh, the internet. This, this is from the BBC. Um, creator of U.S. Bioweapons, I guess we're going to tie this to coronavirus because that, that's a good part of what we're – first, let's talk about you – know, let me see here how to, how to tie this together fluidly. Some of you might have heard the article – this is about a week old. Uh, renaming, this is on Ad Age. I believe this was out of the BBC. Renaming climate change. Can a new name finally make us take action? This article talks about the effort to rename climate change. I think we've already seen some of the fruits of this with the things that we hear. Uh, cl- some of the candidates are climate chaos. I know we've heard that one. Climate collapse. I know I've heard that one as well. Global meltdown, global melting. Uh, Good Brown, this is quoting from the article, good brand names instill a clear message or even a direct call to action. Perhaps that's why climate change isn't powerful enough. Change sounds so neutral, so overused. However, there's nothing neutral about collapse or chaos. Both are states of events that you absolutely want to avoid. Uh, They ask each of us to do what it takes to avoid collapsing or descending into chaos. So this is the, the argument they use for those words and we're going to talk a little bit more about one of the other choices they have here which was uh, scorched earth scorched climate kind of interesting terminology you know we'll tie that in in a little bit so they're still going strong with the climate change Uh, you that listen to this show know uh, a little better that climate change Well, here, let's just quote from another article. Uh, This is from the USGS's webpage. Global green, green up, slows the warming. I'm looking at um, 2018 as opposed to 1970 and 1990. And the earth is far, far greener. Carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It is plant food. It is what plants need to eat. So guess what else we have at record levels in our atmosphere along with excessive plant food we have what plants produce oxygen even though the lungs of the world as you guys all heard burned to the ground as hollywood was freaking out over a couple fires in the amazon which will probably be extremely green here in another couple years the world is has an abundance of uh, oxygen we're actually still pretty low for co2 the uh, co2 has been far 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 higher than what it is now in some of its more temporal temperate uh phases that it's gone through climate is cyclical that's not to say we don't have anything to worry about we have plenty to worry about um the real concern in my mind is crop losses um crop losses are a record high um grasshoppers just ate half of all the crops in pakistan that is a very very big deal and uh, what is it what, is, what do they call it when um well also in Africa we have 400 billion an estimated 400 billion locusts infesting Africa eating crops like crazy Africa's lost a third of their crops Pakistan, Pakistan a half uh, India is suffering. What do they call that when a whole bunch of grasshoppers eat all your food? Oh I think they call that a pestilence yeah I believe that's a pestilence. Um, so crop loss is huge issue not just are the grasshoppers eating it all which is also kind of a climate thing. Uh, this is all tied not to carbon dioxide, not to you driving your car to work and being made to feel guilty for it, but rather tied to our shifting poles and excessive uh, high cosmic rays, which increase um, cloud nucleation, storm nucleation, specifically hail nucleation. We have undulations in the jet stream like we've never seen in our lifetimes. This is going to cause weather. Well, it's going to cause some weather that's going to destroy the co- crops of the world. So um, – We have locusts. We have the coronavirus, which we'll talk about in a minute. Let me see here. Famine, pestilences, and locusts, and plagues. Where have we heard this before? This is sounding really familiar. This is all in 2020 so far, right? I want to talk really, not too much, but a little bit about the coronavirus, because I think, in my humble opinion, while this isn't a biblical plague yet, and um, we're hearing all these estimates how it could Uh, become a pandemic and I don't I don't dismiss those at all I think that is a very real threat very interesting that an actual coronavirus and some of this I can't give you all the sources for all this or I would just be quoting sources all day but I got a lot of this from a a name that we all know and trust uh, Dr. Jack Stockwell as well as well He was one of my main sources and a few others, but coronavirus actually means king virus because it has little spikes on its head. It's a very, very common virus. It is the exact same virus that causes colds and flus, bronchitis, so forth, um, with some modifications. There's uh, a team in India that has published a paper, and it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but very interesting. They have found four insertions into this coronavirus uh, of HIV viral group. Uh, patients are responding to age tre- age uh, treatments that have contracted this coronavirus. Coronavirus, I don't think anybody can dispute, at least anybody that pays somewhat attention, in my opinion, that this is a bioweapon. Um, and unfortunately, it's not the only one out there. So how do we protect against things like this? This kind of goes up against a story I'm, from a Kind of a personal nature. I I think I've told you guys before that I'm a huge fan of not putting anything into my body unless I've uh, thanked the Lord for it. I like to say grace when I before I, I I drink a lot of water during the day, so I say grace over my gallon jug in the morning, which comes out of my water swervish through my magnetic fields. That's kind of a long story, but I hop up water the best I can, and then I turn to the Lord and say. I know this probably has a lot more contaminants of this world. Will you please cleanse it and energize it for this body you've given me? I try to do that with everything I put into my body. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, Regardless of what religion you are, when when, uh, a son or daughter of Elohim turns to him and says, hey, I've done my best to buy some good food here little worried. Can you please bless it? And thank you for it because it all comes from him. I think it's a very powerful and important thing. So anyway, I've always been a little bit concerned in the morning when I I do this for my vitamins too. I didn't used to, but one day I felt I was impressed. Like, how do you know that those are any good? Right? So I was been really cynical about my vitamin D and we're told that vitamin D is one of the things that we're supposed to take all of plenty of. And none of us get enough of it because we're never in the sun enough. Um, this is an anti-flu, anti-cold, uh, it fights inflammation. It's good for all sorts of things and it also is one of the most important things you can take for your immune system, right? So diligently, I've been buying my no GMO, all natural vitamin D and we're going to probably run up against the break here. Vitamin D is the active ingredient in rat poison we'll talk about that in a little more detail i promise you this is true i've verified it every way but sideways and have even just finished arguing with my um with walgreens over it. the uh the pharmacist there um who actually finally had to admit yeah it is the same but you know there's more to it than that we'll talk about that and uh lots more after this short break we'll talk to you soon welcome back um we are talking about how to boost your immunity at the moment and i was sharing a story um uh, i've always been a little like i just kind of had this feeling i really believe when we get these little feelings these in, in my in my opinion when you feel uh when you feel that that feeling of deja vu it's for a good reason don't ignore it um for a long time i've felt really uncomfortable about my uh my vitamin D3 that I was taking in my little supplement regimen. And I take only uh, standard process, which is not really vitamins. They're more, well, you can look into that if you want. I'm, I, I would be very cynical. Things like ascorbic acid is not vitamin C. And as I learned yesterday, um, cal- calis- uh, I always murder these names. Calciferol, calciferol chaliciferol Calicipherol, i'm gonna call it that pick up any bottle of vitamin d i spent a lot of time yesterday my wife takes this really fancy hummingbird women's blah 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 designer vitamins i uh, picked hers up looked at it everyone that i've, I've seen everywhere it's all the same it's chaliciferol and um it's rat poison it is the active ingredient in rat poison i'm gonna quote from an article i found and this one was pretty benign of course when you google it All you'll hear is fluffy, big pharmacy stuff, but the gist of it is all this time and kind of what got me going is I was looking at my bottle of nature's bounty or whatever the heck this vitamin D was and on the list of things it's you know, no nuts, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors. I'm like, why would you flavor your vitamin D? But anyway, at the very bottom of it said no fish products. I thought, wait a minute. I thought vitamin D is made from cod liver oil. How could there be no fish products in this? And that's what kind of started my search. Um, This article, which was pretty neutral, states that uh, uh, coliciferol in any sort of high doses is poison. Uh, Rodents are somewhat more susceptible to high doses than other species, but can also be harmful for your dogs or cats. Um, Skipping ahead a little bit, one pure gram of D3 is uh, 40 million IUs, where one IU is equivalent to um, 0.025 micrograins. Um, the recommended dose is 200 IU uh, for individuals, males, females, or pregnant women under the age of 50. For individuals 50 to 70, 400 IU is recommended. For those 70 years and older, 600 IU is recommended. I'm looking at my bottle. I have 5,000 IUs and the good little uh, former alcoholic inside of me is like, you know, if one's good, two's better and I don't want to get no coronavirus. So I'm taking two of these bad boys twice a day, right? So I'm taking 20,000 IUs. Um, The upper limit for for vitamin D has been recommended at 2000 IU. I couldn't find one that had less than 2000 IU yesterday to be honest with you. Uh, Due to toxicities that can occur while taking higher doses. Patients with severe vitamin D deficiency um, may require higher dosage. Anyway, this article goes on to say that it is a calcifier of soft tissues which reminds me a lot of fluoride and it's absolutely not vitamin D. If you look at your bottle, it will say cholecalciferol as vitamin D3. So I uh, poured out all my unused portions. I went to Walgreens and got them to refund the unopened bottles. And I went to standard process, even though the dose is far lower and I got to take a lot more pills, that actually comes from cod liver. Now, we all have to make our own choices. I look at it like this. Um, I, I need to do the best I can for all of these things. Um... And then after that, I honestly say a prayer over it and ask, ask God to do what I can't do. I think this is important in all things. And nutrition is one of those because who's got time to research all this stuff out? But for me, being as I knew this now, I felt like I needed to do, give my body the best chance it can. So I would get your vitamin D3 from cod liver oil. Or you can get it from a 55-gallon drum, which comes from the same place that all of our supplements, mostly, and medicines come from, which is China. Um, don't feel so good about that. I'm not sure why our government chose to put that in place. That was through the Bush administration when all of the antibiotics manufacturers and big pharmacy pretty much all shut down in America and we all went to China. So now they happily make all of our medicines for us. That's nothing to worry about, but we won't talk about that today. And when I say that's nothing to worry about, obviously, I'm uh, being a little sarcastic, Back to the coronavirus, the thing that makes this thing so so scarier one of the things is it has an eight day uh, gestation period. This means eight days before once you uh, are con- once you have contracted it uh, before it actually shows symptoms so you can spread this to lots of people um, before you 'll actually be quarantined and this is one of the traits where um probably why it was chosen um again it was it's clearly bioengineered i don't i don't know any serious scientists that's looked at this and not come up with that conclusion other than you know maybe the world health organization if anybody thinks they're relevant i guess listen to them but um so anyway what can we do about it vitamin d is a good choice uh um, just make sure you're not getting the calis- caliciferol. That's the last time I'm going to try to say that. And I think I'm going to call call that good for coronavirus. Um, we've all heard lots about it. I think the most important thing we can do is not fear. And As long as we're talking about plagues, I do want to – we're going to talk a little bit about my pal and yours, Isaiah, which who to me was a lot more valid of a source for our day than um, – than really the newspaper or anything else, um, but also for plagues. Gosh darn it! I had this called up. Well, it's not going to come. I must not supposed to be talking about it today. Um, basically, the plague, if you uh, if you follow what the Bible says, will come in three waves. Uh, the second plague, which will be the most destructive by far, many think that's the the desolation that Daniel spoke of, will be uh, fear-inducive. If you read oh, people like John Taylor, a guy named Patriarch uh, Evans, uh, around the turn of the century, uh, and others have seen this and say that the worst thing that we can do to be subjected to this plague is to fear. And I am wholeheartedly uh, on board with that. I think the very worst thing we can do for ourselves is to be be fearful Um, We have nothing to be afraid of. We have some things to definitely be concerned about, but um, nothing to be afraid of. I want to switch gears a little bit and revisit the word um, covenant. Actually, before I do that, I want to talk about an article. This is kind of – this article almost struck me as much as reading about Lavoie Finnicum and Ammon Bundy and and those good men up there. in Oregon I, I heard it reported on the national news that these these armed militiamen had seized this government building and they were holed up in there and you guys heard it all right and I was like eh. and then I heard the name Ammon Bundy I thought Ammon that's a name I know hmm, something doesn't seem right here. I heard what Glenn Beck had to say about it, and some little light went off in me. I think this is one of those deja vu things that we saw maybe long before we came here, and we were like, this is significant. You need to look a little deeper here. I've always felt that way, maybe not quite, obviously not quite so strongly, but when I've read this, we've all heard probably about the big gender gap problem in uh, China. I mean, you probably know why that is. For the longest time, um... China didn't choose to keep many of its female babies, and so we have about 30 million uh, estimated uh, men under the age of 35 that have absolutely no hope of ever finding a partner. And I've always thought, well, you know that 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 that's sad and that's a bummer, and I just kind of always dismissed it as another another terrible thing that's wrong with communism. But uh, the other day it struck me, and it was when I was reading Isaiah. When I was reading about this Assyrian army that will sweep the promised land, that will, that will leave your men bleeding in the street, and all of your women ravaged, and I thought, man, what kind of an army is this, man, that would kill all the dudes? It, it sounds like a pretty dark, awful army. And then I remembered this article, and we're going to have to talk about this after the break, but many of you are probably connecting these dots already. How, how do you get an army that, that ruthless and that driven? Is kind of where I'm going, but we will talk about that in a little more detail, cover the facts, and let you make up your own mind after the break. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Um, Just talking briefly a little bit more about the uh, pestilences and wars that we um, might see coming. Um, And this article that I kept getting, it's actually not just one article. You can find dozens, many, many dozens of articles on this same topic. I just picked one because it was like kind of a mainstream one. Who is this? This is BBC. By 2020, and this was written a couple years ago, it is estimated there will be 30 million uh, men... Uh, with no hopes of ever finding a partner in China. There are entire cities of 30,000. I read of one that had 50,000 men in it that had absolutely no hope of ever finding a wife. Now, you think about that. That's depressing. Suicide is a huge problem. This is the most suicided group, even more than being a Clinton informant, is uh, a higher suicide group than that. These Chinese men are, are committing suicide. They have no hope. They have no hope for that which we're all here for, right? To find a woman and have a family. Well, the Chinese government is promising these guys a solution, which I thought was kind of weird. I mean, where are you guys? You guys going to like grow some wives from somewhere, matrix style or what? I don't really know what their plan solution is, but it kind of struck me that um, in my, if you've listened to Joel Scows and many others, in my humble opinion, I don't think I have no doubt that eventually we will be looking at an invasion from what Isaiah called an Assyrian king, the cleansing left hand of the Lord, uh, that will sweep over the promised land and will give us kind of the chastening that we deserve, as we have not kept the covenant that our founding fathers made so long ago. Um, by we, I mean as a national. There's, as I see it, there's two kinds of covenants the um that come into play here there's the personal covenant that we each make which pers- which is you know most important for us personally and within our families but there's also a national covenant um Tim Ballard writes extensively on this and I've even heard Glenn Beck talk about it a fair amount um, and great sources for that um so anyway this Assyrian king we've got these 30 million men I I don't know I I don't want to like this is my opinion. How do you get an army that ruthless, that driven, to not go back? I mean, I've he, here in here in America we have cops, cop cars driving around with fluffy bureaucratic sayings on it, like "Together we're building a better community" or whatever, right? You know what cop cars in China say? "Willing to spill blood for the people." Now, I guess that's intimidating, but it's not, it's not very inspiring, right? So, how do you keep an army in a foreign land? Uh, willing to keep fighting against as as one of their uh, supreme leaders put it a few years ago in a hot mic moment that we will be fighting in a foreign land where there could well be a, a gun behind every blade of grass right you guys have heard that probably well, i don't know about a gun behind every blade of, of grass but certainly behind every tree and corner right um i don't know about you guys but i'll be one of them i mean i would expect you to be as well, as well if we were ever invaded by a foreign power like this um, so anyway, it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: In my humble opinion, that's uh, that's that, that's this is the building of an army yeah. that has no hope except for to conquer. So, kind of a dark thought, but I thought it was worth talking about. I want to lighten the mood just a little bit and talk briefly about about this covenant, the American covenant. <clears throat> uh, General Washington, when he Gave his inaugural address. He he said this, and this is covenant language taken right out of the Bible. The smiles of heaven can never be upon a nation that disregards the natural laws of right and wrong that God has ordained. Unquote. Um, when he put his hand on the on that Bible, I've heard a lot of historians that say, as oh, he just picked some willy nilly spot. There's nothing important about this spot that he picked." You know, Genesis 49. Well, when you look in there in Genesis 49, what's there? Well, we have um, Jacob promising different lands to his posterity and to Joseph, he promised uh, a promised land over the wall and that your posterity will go over this wall and possess that promised land. Our founding fathers absolutely knew that they were that seed of Joseph and they were and they that, that is how a handful of colonists defeated the most powerful military on earth which kind of gives me a lot of uh, courage to be honest with you. We know what Gideon did with 300 guys, right? The the God of Heaven doesn't need a whole lot of uh, overwhelming numbers to do some pretty great stuff. And that's one of the many things that helps me to keep my faith my faith uh, up and my fear tapped down. Also, I want to quote from Columbus. This is his Final uh, book that he – his writings – can't think of the name of it. It's basically a compilation of his diaries. On his third and final voyage here, um, which he never made it actually to mainland. I believe it was Cuba that he was on. I, I might be off on that but somewhere down in the Caribbean. But he it was quoted as saying that um, that on this – in this land – uh, lies the garden of eden and the the future new jerusalem both these are upon this continent unquote now that's that's from columbus many people might wonder how does columbus know that well not to go uh, too far down uh down the rabbit hole on this one but i've heard a man named parley pratt say that it was his belief that um The angel that Columbus uh, was visited by was a guy named Moroni. Some of you might recognize that name. Also, a lot of uh, really credible things I've read say this is the same angel that visited President Washington. This is, uh, I think, an angel, uh, maybe an archangel by now that has uh, a little jurisdiction over this land, so to speak. Maybe he got it from him. I can't say. I wasn't there. But uh, President Lincoln Um, Also, when he was – it's kind of an interesting story there. How much time do we have left in this segment, Brian? Four minutes? Short version of President Lincoln. And I have to confess, I have never – I have not been the biggest uh, Abraham Lincoln fan because I don't believe he was in the right to invade the South in my opinion. Um, I've listened to a lot of uh, writings from a guy named Stephen Pratt and listened to lectures who I – I very much uh, like him and believe he's spot on on almost everything. And he's a very much so not a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. So, I, well, I believe Lincoln to be a good man. I think he, you know, all people make mistakes, right? But I have to say, um, this has kind of changed my mind a little bit on Lincoln. Um, when he started the war, he was very quick to say, "This is not about slavery. This is about the South coming back," which was ultimately kind of about the same two things: money and power. The South left because it was paying way too much and it was fearful that it would have to give up its slaves, but mostly it was about money. Um, After the first year, the war was going terribly for the North. They were losing every single battle, did not win one, even though they had twice the manpower, twice the equipment. To make it even worse for Lincoln, he lost his best friend during this period uh, in his 12 year old son. A lot of historians call this his uh, Lincoln's Road to Damascus. Um, Pretty interesting. During this period, there was um, a lot of um, people would walk by the Lincoln. He'd be on his knees by the Resolute Desk praying. They'd come back three hours later. He'd still be in that same spot praying, which to me is pretty – I kind of get cheered up when I think about that. I wish we had a president like that today. Nothing against our president, but it's hard to imagine that that goes on next to the Resolute desk today. But um, super interesting to me, there was a guy named Joseph Smith, oh, about 20 years prior to the Civil War, give or take, that predicted the state, or I should say prophesied the state, and pretty much everything about the start of the Civil War. This was very well known by Lincoln. It was known to many in the East. A lot of people wanted to know more about this guy that had basically uh, predicted it so accurately, right? Well, Washington checked out a book called The Book of Mormon uh, from the Library of Congress, kept it for eight months. This was during this same period, his Road to, uh, to Damascus period, and several other books, coincidentally, also about Joseph Smith. Now, I, I can't say for sure what he read or if he read the entire book, but it's kind of interesting. When he came out of this period in his life, He suddenly knew all about the covenant. When he was sworn in the second time, he had his hand on Isaiah 5, which was all about the covenant, the promised land, and he believed the blood spoken of therein was him and what the nation was going through. So after this period, he gathered his cabinet and he says, I've changed my mind. This is now about slavery. God has told me there can be no slaves upon this land. That's not a new thing. God has told the people on this land for a very long time, you will have no slaves on this land, right? The other thing was, uh, ended up being the 13th and 4th Amendment, 13th and 14th Amendments. The other thing was that the Bill of Rights is absolutely valid for all people and that must be the case for all people in this land. Um, Those were the two things that Joseph Smith had on his uh, presidential platform, kind of an interesting coincidence. So. Abraham Lincoln, in my humble opinion, good guy. He's, he's, he's back on the good guy list in my book. Um, when we come back from the uh, break, I want to talk about Isaiah. And don't worry, I'm not going to just sit here and read Isaiah to you guys. I want to draw some correlations to what we see going on all around us. To me, this is far more valid than today's Frontline News. And we will talk about that after the break. okay everybody welcome back after our short break i want to talk a little bit about i have i've prepared a few quotes here um from the book of isaiah i'm just going to kind of rapid them to you maybe with a few words in between and you, you think about this and tell me that that he didn't see our day to me isaiah isaiah is an anomaly um I mean, they're all—all all, all the prophets in the in the Bible are, are great. Don't get me wrong, but Isaiah, um, I think, stands a little bit more valid even to us in our day because he saw our day, and he the, his advice to us is unlike anything we get anywhere else. Um, This kind of goes along with the China thing. Isaiah 325, your men shall be felled by the sword. They will lie bleeding in your streets. Not kind of, that's not terribly uplifting. From the north shall come pillars of smoke and uh, no place will be designated or no place in the promised land shall evade it. Isaiah 1431. Um, Isaiah 295, suddenly in an instant, your crowds of evildoers shall become as fine dust your violent mobs as flying chaff well only a couple things can do that right um i'm gonna skip that one uh isaiah 17 14 at evening time shall be the catastrophe and before morning they shall be no more um this catastrophe thing runs throughout isaiah and it's very interesting it goes perfectly with everything that we see going on. Um, There's a few in here about, let me see if I can skip ahead to the ones that talk about some of the leaders in that day. Uh, Isaiah 312, your leaders mislead you, abolishing your traditional ways. Have our leaders today kept the uh, national covenant that our founding fathers bound us to? Well, you you look and, and make up your own mind. Isaiah 59, 4. Again, speaking of the leaders of this land. They rely on empty words, deceitfully spoken. They conceive misdeeds. They beget wickedness. Now nah, that's not our politicians, right? They have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and said it not, the ancient covenant. Um, that's pretty clear. But there's some good news. Let me uh, find a few of the more positive ones. Isaiah 49:11. All my mountain ranges I will appoint as roads. My highways shall be on high. Um, those are crazy preppers like me. I really firmly believe this is uh, referring to places of refuge that we can seek. Um, coming out of Babylon is a very common theme throughout Isaiah, throughout Scripture. Um, in my opinion, that's what that's referring to. Isaiah fifty-seven thirteen: "They who seek refuge in me shall possess the earth and receive an inheritance in my holy mountain." Um, now this holy mountain is kind of an interesting thing. Some of you, if you're uh, if you live in Utah, you've heard uh, uh, some of the Isaiah scriptures quoted um, that all nations will flow into this holy mountain, uh, marvelous work and a wonder. And I don't think. The the things that the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or at least many of the people that in, say that refers to Salt Lake City. I don't think that's what Isaiah was talking about at all. That that might be like a type or a, you know, a, something we could compare it to. But the all nations flowing to this uh, holy mountain of the Lord in the last days for refuge, in my mind, is unquestionably the heartland of America, the new Jerusalem. And the holy mountain would be the temple that I think we will soon see risen there. But a couple of other ones, just to kind of put a ribbon on this, uh, Isaiah 919, at the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, the earth is scorched. Now, this kind of goes back to naming global warming, right? The earth will be scorched and people are but fuel for the fire. Um, I've I've said this before, um, but there's a whole bunch more of these. Uh, Isaiah 2.10. Uh, the evil go into the rocks. They hide in the dust of the earth from the awesome presence of Jehovah. Um, do we have any uh Elites that are making fancy cities in holes in the rocks. Or are they taking their gold and silver there to prepare to give them to the, uh, what is it, moles and the bats, Isaiah says? Mm, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Isaiah 42, 22. They are a people plundered and sacked, all of them trapped in holes, hidden away in dungeons. Um, that one's a downer. I'm going to skip it. You get the general idea. Here, uh, had not Jehovah of hosts left us a few survivors, we should have been as Sodom or become like Gomorrah. This is a really common thing comparing us in this land in the last days. And I think pretty much this can be extended to the whole earth as a Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what their great sin was. But the good news is there will be a good handful left. Um, So how do you become... Like the handful left and not, you know, I, I tell my kids, hey, don't be burned as stubble, right? <laughs> I don't want to be chaff. If I am, I am, I guess. But um, one more here for you. Uh, tell the righteous it shall be well with them. They shall eat the fruits of their own labors, Isaiah 310. And I'll tell you what, my friends. Um, I long for that day to be able to eat the fruit of my own labor, right? Just just that, and I'm sure many of you are with me. Those of you that, that whether you're working for uh, for someone else and paying 30, 40 percent of your income to a to a corrupt government, or if, like me, you're an unfortunate business owner that gives closer to 70 percent. Um, actually, by the time you figure in all the other taxes and fees, who knows what we're all paying, right? It's pretty hard to argue that a person that gives the majority of their income uh, to a to a government by force is anything but a slave. And um, the good news is that we will eat the fruits of our own labors in a soon coming day. And I take a lot of heart in that. Um, But one thing that we do also know for sure from this and many other, uh, there's one particular that I wanted to find here, but you know what, I had too many of them. I've raised up one from the north who calls, uh, who shall come, from the direction of the sunrise this is the davidic servant which is another uh, also the davidic servant who among you fears jehovah and heeds the voice of his servant isaiah fifty ten. um maybe we'll do a show on the davidic servant that's kind of a kind of something that not a lot of people talk about it's interesting a guy named brigham young said a long time ago that uh, not that long ago really That while the Jews were looking for a temporal Messiah, they missed the real Messiah because a spiritual Messiah came. He said in the last days, uh, God's people will be no better at picking up on it because they will be looking for a spiritual Messiah again and a temporal one will come. And I think this temporal one, this one that will lead like Moses did, is this David, this uh, servant, which is really great news. Um. And I think those that are watching won't be able to miss it. How comely upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger announcing peace, also referring to this uh, Davidic servant, often confused with the Savior and his second coming because this Davidic servant is like a type of it. Um, but anyway, before that comes, in a coming day, we will all be giving a chance to pledge allegiance. To one side or another, we'll be able to pledge allegiance to the great whore beast kingdom that we already all well know is well underway. Um, I would point you to that creepy Abrahamic church and places like that. Um, I don't want to like speak ill of uh, I think we've talked about it before. I, I know there's great there's good people in all religions, but I think also I would say all religions in some degree or another have been corrupted. They, they couldn't possibly be on this earth to be ran by men and not be corrupted, right, in some degree or another. So eventually we'll, we'll all have a great division and we'll have to pledge, pledge allegiance to one side or the other. And uh, this won't come at a small cost. Um, look, at, uh, look at Joan of Arc. Look at William Tyndale, Abinadi. Look at Lavoie Finnicum. We will all have the, the, that moment. It might not be quite as dramatic as Joan of Arc's or Lavois, But um, our chance will come when we're backed up against the wall, and we'll have to make that choice. And it's not going to be easy. But make up your mind beforehand how you will choose. As for me and hopefully my family, <clears throat> we plan to choose the God of heaven. And he never breaks his covenant. And he is far more powerful than a coronavirus or 30 million invading angry men or anything. Um, And if we put our trust in him, keep our, uh, be good to your neighbors. You know, it all means it's different things to different people. I, I understand that. But I think universally we can say, be good to your wife, be good to your kids, be good to your neighbors, be good to those that you don't like. That's a lot harder thing to do. And as we do that, as we don't fear, we won't have to worry about anything. And uh, it's going to be grand. I don't know about you guys. I am excited. Hope you guys have a good weekend. Don't forget to uh, start your day on a knee and uh, go forward and do what's right. And we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.